Uthang Dhammang Sanghang Namasang It's probably safe to assume that since you're here listening to this talk that you're all familiar with feeling of being inspired by Dhamma, inspired by the Buddha's teachings. You wouldn't be making the effort to be here if you weren't familiar with the feeling of inspiration and how significant that can be in helping us as we start out on this path and this practice. And certainly I can remember how inspired I was with my first Buddhist book that I was given, Alan Watts, The Way of Zen. And then my first meditation retreat. Initially I wasn't very inspired or impressed and all the rules and regulations that I didn't find particularly appealing. However, I can still remember the third day of that meditation retreat doing walking meditation and the experience, the shift in perspective that took place when just a modicum of tranquility arose and the inspiration, the energy, the enthusiasm, incredible enthusiasm that came from this is possible. So inspiration can have a big effect. And also, I, I also remember my first spiritual community when I, I came across monasteries in Thailand. I thought, wow, this is possible. You can live like this. And the enthusiasm and the inspiration and the energy that arises from that. And however, I can also remember <laughs> the spiritual community I was living in in Thailand where I think this is the last place I want to be. That was when inspiration passed, and so part of the reason I raise this is because inspiration has got a use-by date on it, and we need to be aware the good feelings that, that arise with inspiration are not something that we want to be feeding on, or certainly not something we want to become attached to or lost in. Yes, appreciate, really appreciate inspiration. However, let's not lose the mindfulness. And if we get lost in the pleasant feelings that arise with inspiration, then when the inspiration passes, we can get lost in the opposite, in disillusionment. I mean, sooner or later, the inspiration will pass. What matters, what's important, is that we can learn from that, that we don't get lost when disappointment arises and when doubt. Instead of being inspired, thinking the Buddha's got the answers to everything, all my problems are going to be solved. Those kind of thoughts arise in the beginning. And then when you encounter something that causes you to doubt, are we able to be there for doubt and really listen to what doubt has got to teach us? Or do we judge doubt and say, oh, I'm failing because I don't feel inspired anymore? We need to be careful about this. So how can we protect ourselves? How can we how can we know? Are we feeding on the pleasurable feelings associated with inspiration in an unskillful way, or are we just simply appreciating them? It's tricky. It can be like if you find if you find a good psychotherapist, if that's what you're looking for, 
and you can get really inspired. And it's like same finding a good Dhamma teacher, you can get really inspired. However, in both cases, it's quite possible to get stuck. Yes, you think, oh, here's somebody who really basically, I get their language, and they seem to get me. And that's that can be very uplifting, very supportive. However, in both cases, whether it's a Dhamma teacher or, or in therapy, it's, it's very easy if we're not careful to get stuck. And so, again, how, do we, how, can we, how can we know? Are we appreciating this good feeling or are we feeding on it? Are we, are we setting ourselves up for, for massive disappointment, for massive disillusionment? Well, one skillful means that I encourage regularly is to know that we don't know. I don't know how I'm relating to this feeling of inspiration. I don't know. Am I feeding on it in an unskillful way or am I simply appreciating it? I don't know. To know we don't know is always a good place to start. Whatever, whenever we're faced with a conundrum, with a dilemma, so I don't know how to handle this, let's not miss the opportunity to learn how to know that we don't know. And when we're dying, it's almost guaranteed we're not going to know how to do it. I suspect it would be really helpful to know that we don't know and to be okay with not knowing. And also, in asking that question, am I... Am I relating to these good feelings of inspiration in a skillful way or in an addictive way, like I've related to so many other experiences in my life? Well, we can take on board the possibility that we are indulging in them. So maybe I am. And instead of fighting the fear of being caught up and really accept the possibility, Maybe I am really lost in this good feeling and I'm just setting myself up for massive disappointment. And then listen to what our whole being tells us. Here and now, judgment-free, whole being awareness. Here and now, judgment-free, whole being awareness. How does that respond when we drop that idea in? Maybe I am lost in this good feeling and learn from that it's quite likely that the thought will be frightening and it's quite likely that when fear arises we contract and resist and at that point we become obstructed let's remember it's not an, ob- it's not an obligation to resist the fear we can feel the fear. We're allowed to feel the fear. Our pain is not an indictment against us. It's maybe it's maybe it's true. I've thought this in the past. You know, I've brought up a very strict Christian, and and I expect my relatives still worried about my future and which terrible realm I'm going to drop into when I die. And, and there was a time in my practice where I I realised that I was really afraid still on some level. Maybe when I die, I'm going to go to hell. Maybe I'm getting this all wrong. Well, if we keep resisting that fear, what's happening to it? It goes into unawareness. Let's remember that there's also the option of developing the spiritual faculties that we talk about so often, 
sadha, virya, sati, samadhi, panya, faith, energy, mindfulness, collectedness, discernment, developing these spiritual faculties so we're able to meet ourselves where we're at, we're in something like the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, fear of falling into hell, fear of going mad. That's also, you know, on this journey, it's quite possible you encounter that one. The deluded sense of self starts to deconstruct and you feel very insecure and you get a little caught up in that and you start feeling, maybe I'm going crazy. Well, maybe you are. Maybe you're not. Do we have the strength, do we have the readiness? Are we prepared enough to meet ourselves there? If we're not, well then, let's be careful. Let's be very, very careful not to push too hard. This is again where being greedy for results in practice gets us into big trouble. So with this question of am I relating to the pleasant feelings that are associated with inspiration in a skillful way or an addictive way? Well, we can just take that question on and feel it. What does the here, now, judgment-free, whole being awareness have to say about that? And learn from the response. So sometimes the reason people feel stuck in their practice is not because inspiration has faded, it's past its use-by date. Rather it's because they encounter a big amount of old unmet dukkha, denied dukkha. We all have it, we all deny dukkha in earlier stages of life, before we're educated enough, strong enough, prepared enough to open up to life and learn from the sukha and the dukkha, the joy and the sorrow. Before we're ready for that, we learn to manipulate our feelings and deny them. And depending on how much we've pushed into unawareness, how much pain we've pushed into the basement, when we take on the spiritual exercises and, and the original, the initial, the initial inspiration passes away, it's, it's inevitable, sooner or later, we will encounter this denied life, this rejected, unmet dukkha. Um, and for some people, that's manageable. And for other people, it takes them to the feeling of being on the edge of overwhelm. And at that point, we need to be very, very careful. Trying to go back to inspiration and feel all good about ourselves and good about our practice again is probably not going to work. I can remember a stage of my practice very early on where I was a junior monk or maybe I was still a novice monk living in a monastery in Bangkok and I was so disillusioned. The wonderful experiences that I'd had in meditation in the beginning, I didn't have any access to them. And I think I even wrote to people on, the, on this, this um, back-to-the-earth commune that I was living on in Australia and said, please send me this book, <laughs> hoping that I get this book and get all inspired again. We can do that when, when we encounter some old heavy stuff and we don't know how to deal with. And 
And we can revert back or make an attempt to revert back to feeling all inspired again. And, and that's probably not the right strategy. We need to again remember those spiritual faculties. You know, sadha, virya, sati, smarti, panya, faith, energy, mindfulness, collectiveness, discernment. These are the, the skills that we develop. These are the potentials that we need to work with to meet this stuff. However, sometimes it's the case that that even then we still feel like we're on the edge of overwhelm. And what do you do then? Well, some people, they start thinking, well, maybe, maybe I need to do some therapy. Maybe that's what I need. And, and if you have a skillful Dhamma teacher you can turn to, then they're going to help you look into that question. Would it be useful for you to be considering looking for some help? If you have an unskillful Dhamma teacher, and this is important, that if you have an unskillful Dhamma teacher, then they might um, humiliate you and shame you, unfortunately. It, it has happened. And, and that you judge you for not having enough faith in the teachings or in the teacher. So again, we need to be extremely careful and when denied pain surfaces, that's the opportunity to grow. That's the opportunity to get stronger. However, the idea that we don't need help, we can always do it on our own, that's not always a good idea. Remember what the Buddha said about Kalyanamitta. Spiritual companions, good friends, are an essential element in this life. And if you find yourself in a situation where you think, maybe I need some more help, maybe I need therapy, don't dismiss that. And if anybody tells you that you're wrong for having that, then I would seriously encourage you to not listen too closely to their advice. So there is a time when, when sometimes some people need help. It's true. Not everybody. So, you know, some people, they can figure it out on their own. and Other people do need help. When pain has been denied long enough, it can become very distorted and very difficult to untangle. And intense, and and instead of instead of becoming stronger, instead of deepening in our practice, we can end up creating obstructions for ourselves, which is really unfortunate. Or even worse, you know, this old denied pain, which could be referred to as trauma, you could end up becoming re-traumatized, and that does also happen. Perhaps it's some rage that arose at an early stage of life when you found yourself in a situation you couldn't handle and just locked it away in the nervous system and and then you undertake some meditation retreat or other spiritual exercises and then it pops up to the surface and there it is. And when it appears, it's quite likely it'll appear associated with the same feeling that you had at the time that you locked it away, which is, I can't handle this. And that's the nature of such denied dukkha, you know, the nature of trauma. And if the feeling is there, the perception is there, I can't handle this, and you haven't got somebody to help you, well, it is possible that you can make the situation worse and they're re-traumatizing yourself. So let's approach this territory very carefully and learn to be very skillful. Some idealistic Buddhists, not particularly well-informed or particularly educated in these matters, 
can be quite dismissive. And, and that's unfortunate because such pain does have the potential to create major obstructions that could affect somebody for the rest of their life. So being very careful, very caring, very considerate in how we enter this territory. So whether or not it's the case that somebody needs therapy, needs help, depends on all sorts of conditions. There's all sorts of reasons why some people do need help and some people don't. In my observation, what some people need is really to is again, come back and be more patient and be more diligent in working with the spiritual faculties. And most of us enter this journey without our faculties very well developed. Not enough faith, not enough energy, not enough mindfulness, not enough collectiveness, not enough discernment. And so we're trying to do this enormous task of transforming unawareness into, into understanding, into compassion. And we don't have the faculties. Some people are too quick to assume, oh, I need help, I need more than what I've got. Well, and they haven't actually really investigated the teachings that they have, the skillful means that they've been given. And the spiritual faculties, and, and particularly also the four Brahma-viharas, you know, selfless caring, and empathy in the context of suffering, and empathy in the context of, of joy and equanimity. These, these four, what referred to as the Brahma-viharas, these force fields that can serve as protections for us. And if we haven't invested in them and we think, oh, I need to go and find a therapist to help me, well, maybe we do, but maybe we need to just be more patient to come back and work with the, the teachings that we've been given. And then again, there are those who, for all sorts of reasons, that isn't enough. And I remember hearing or reading some years ago about, for some people, the trauma from which they're suffering is, if we borrow the language from the legal profession, is the, the trauma of commission, the trauma of omission, it makes a difference. The trauma of commission is where something happened that has left a serious wound, has caused major obstruction. The trauma of omission is where something that should have happened didn't happen and has resulted in major obstruction and woundedness. And then there's incremental trauma, incremental denied pain, where if you're in a situation where consistently, regularly subjected to small moments of abuse, it can accumulate and becomes a pattern. Maybe think, well, there's nothing really terrible happened in my life. Nothing, I didn't get dropped on my head or beaten up or wasn't in a major accident. And so why does it feel like I've got this this terrible obstruction that keeps surfacing and triggering intense anxiety and feeling of overwhelm? Where does it come from? Well, there is all sorts of things. It's incremental, denied dukkha. So all of these different... causes come to play and can affect somebody, whether it's the case that it's really useful to seek help, seek therapy or not, mm-hmm. worth considering. Mm-hmm. 
And if you do decide that you want to seek help, well, what direction are you going to look in? Yes. Again, there's all sorts of people out there offering all sorts of help, and once again, we need to be extremely careful. such a thing as talking therapy which for some people can be just the right skill or maybe even better referred to as listening therapy because a big part of that process is, is learning how to meet ourselves and if somebody else meets us in a non-judgmental way we don't know how to meet ourselves maybe we're going to start learning to have somebody who knows how to listen to us. Maybe in the beginning we do need to learn how to articulate what's going on, the struggles, the challenges, the feeling of obstructiveness that we have, finding words, finding how to connect the words with the feeling. For a lot of people, they're so lost in their heads, so disembodied, that they don't even know how to speak from a place of feeling. And so it's difficult to articulate characteristic of the struggle. So that might be the first step in talking therapy or listening therapy, learning how to articulate it. Then if you have somebody who really knows how to listen, that can be wonderfully supportive. And then there's movement therapy. Doing learning, learning qigong or going jogging swimming, exercise. It's very normal in spiritual circles for people to take on board the idea that all you need to do is just sit on your cushion for more hours. That may be the very last thing you need to be doing. You might need to go jogging. Or touch therapy. Cranial sacral therapy or or Alexander technique, deep tissue massage, yeah. a way of addressing the energy that's blocked in the body. Breath therapy. If we learn, as we most of us do at an early stage of life, to manipulate our, our feelings by obstructing the flow, natural flow of the breath, it can become chronic. We don't even know that we're doing it anymore. The nervous system has taken over doing it for us. become chronically obstructed in our breathing. And instead of the breath helping maintain a sense of balance in our being, these chronically obstructed patterns of breathing end up throwing us out of balance consistently. And so it can be the case that, that breath therapy is what's needed. Mm-hmm. For people who suffer from PTSD, you know, if you find a, a very skilled acupuncturist, that can be very useful. In all cases, of course, and it's important to make sure that you're dealing with somebody who is properly qualified and, and, and capable of offering the help that, that you need. And also, I would suggest that if you're looking for somebody to help you with this feeling of being obstructed and that there's well particularly there's two things that you should be careful about one is that you're entering into this therapeutic on this relationship with a therapist 
not because just because you think you should, but rather because in your heart, in your guts, you feel ready to do it. Again, we're totally disembodied up in our heads, which is a kind of characteristic of so many people these days, not just in the West, and, and the totally confused people in Thailand for sure these days, and you know, spending far too much time on their devices and their gadgets and, and losing touch with their bodies. And the result is just up in the head. And, and when, it, when it comes to really feeling what they feel, that can be quite difficult. However, if you're entering into a therapeutic relationship with somebody, then it's important that, that you're doing it because you feel ready to do it. And if you don't know how to feel ready, well then ask yourself, how do you know if you feel ready to eat? How do you know if you feel ready? Well, it's not what's going on in your head. I think I should eat now. It's been six hours since I ate. I think I should eat. Well, some people might operate like that, but maybe you could also just ask your stomach. Do I feel ready to eat? Yeah, I feel hungry. I feel ready to eat. Well, in spiritual practice, our hearts often feel hungry. It's our hearts that are aching. It's our hearts that need nourishment. So ask your heart. Ask your guts, do I feel ready to enter into this sort of relationship with this person? Because if we don't feel ready, then you're not going to trust them and you're probably not going to work very deeply. So that's one thing, is to really make sure that you feel ready to take on this work and you want to do it. A lot of Buddhists, unfortunately, demonize wanting think wanting is a cause of suffering. That's a load of nonsense. It's not wanting that's a cause of suffering, it's craving that's a cause of suffering. If we don't have wanting, we don't have motivation. It's wanting plus clinging that is the problem. Wanting plus clinging causes craving. That's definitely an obstruction. However, skillful wanting, and wanting to progress in practice, wanting to help ourselves, wanting to find the support that we might need, we feel we need in practice, and unapologetically asking for it, that can be very skillful, that can be just the right thing to be doing. So feeling that we're ready for this and we want to do this work with somebody, that can be important. And then the second thing to mention is that the therapist of whatever um, kind of therapy that they're offering, there's somebody who respects your commitment to the spiritual life. There are a lot of secular materialists around who have lots of skills in in the realm of therapy who are not necessarily very well informed with regards to the Buddhist teachings. If they were better informed, then they they probably wouldn't make some of the mistakes that they make. However, it is easy to get the wrong end of the stick with regards to the Buddha's teachings, like with regards to the nature of the self. Yes, the Buddha did encourage investigating into anatta, the not-self nature of conditioned phenomena. Yes, he did. But he didn't say there's no self. A lot of Buddhists go around saying there's no self. That's not what the Buddha taught. On many occasions, the Buddha taught about taking care of the conventional sense of self. Atta, smapaditicca making sure that the self is rightly aligned or rightly directed. You must depend on yourself. You cannot depend on another. 
This is talking about the con- conventional sense of self, not some big S self that uh, people believe in. That's that's no, that's correct. That's what the Buddha wasn't talking about. But to dismiss the conventional sense of self and to think that's what the Buddha was teaching, and unfortunately, some therapists do suffer from that misunderstanding. That's unfortunate. So, if you do decide to engage in working with a, a therapist of any persuasion, then I would suggest having the interview and just getting a reading on are they going to respect your commitment to the spiritual life. So to end with, I'd like to quote this verse from the Dhammapada, verse 103, where the Buddha said, conquering a thousand times a thousand men in battle on your own is easier than conquering the self. Conquering a thousand times a thousand men in battle on your own is easier than conquering yourself. Now, obviously, the Buddha is not advocating military activity here. He's illustrating the ordeal. If you dare to challenge the deluded self, then you're going to have to work very hard, very, very hard. And whether it's on the level of coming to terms with some early life feelings of abandonment or rejection and uh, or whether it's on the level that Ajahn Chah was talking about in that wonderful talk in the charnel ground where he talks about his encounter with very deep fear and the profound realization that arose out of his challenging it. Whatever aspect of the deluded self that we're challenging, anybody who takes on that work is worthy of respect and admiration and support. And as for the question of meditation or therapy, well, maybe it's not a question of either or. It often is the case that meditation, the way we approach meditation, has to change. Often people begin with meditation concentration exercises and discover that you can have some really interesting things happen when you focus your attention and, and potentize the mind and it can drop into a state of tranquility and agreeability. So once more of that, that exclusive kind of concentration, it can produce interesting results. However, it's probably almost certainly not sustainable. Certainly if you're somebody who's got a backlog of denied life that you're going to need to deal with, then that excluding, that saying no to the shadow side of life is not going to work. So we, instead of dropping meditation and deciding we're going to go and do therapy, we've got to adjust our meditation. Instead of rejecting the things that we don't like about ourselves, decide that we're going to meet ourselves, accept ourselves completely where we're at, regardless of whatever happens. However sad we feel, however despairing we feel, how much anger we feel, disappointment, disillusion, Say yes to all of it. I see you. Like that image of the Buddha. Even after his awakening, Mara was still there trying to give the Buddha a load of trouble. The Buddha didn't say, get out of here, you nasty Mara. (laughs) How dare you? How dare you cause me trouble? I'm the awakened Buddha. I see you, Mara. I see you. 
Thank you very much this evening for your attention.